during my elementary and junior high years, our family uh, annually traveled to Florida over Easter break to spend a week with my grandparents. Now, in the days before minivans and car seats, families traveled in station wagons. Some of you remember this. Our younger generation, who has never known the adventure that is riding in a station wagon, let me explain. Mom and dad live in the front seat, right? That's where they're traveling. The older siblings get the back seat. I got the way back. Front, back, the way back, or the backpack, as some people called it, right? No seat belts because there was no seats, just a flat trunk area surrounded by all the luggage items that didn't fit underneath or in the car top carrier on top, so kind of wedged in there. So for several years, I traveled from Michigan to Florida and back again in the way back, facing backwards. Because that's the other way that you travel in the way back, right? You're not facing forwards, you're facing backwards. Someone has said that reading Psalm 119 is often like watching scenery along an interstate highway. You glimpse lots of things, but mostly remember the long drive. For the vast majority of kids, most scripture readings and sermons feel like this. All they remember is the long drive. Are we there yet? (laughs) Like when my kids used to ask, are we there yet? I would answer, yes, yes, we are. We are right here. We've arrived at this tree, and now we're at this fire hydrant, and now we're at this crossroad. Oh, hey, look, we made it to this mile marker. They stopped asking. It is especially hard listening to sermons when you feel like you are sitting in the way back facing backwards on a really long drive, and you just have to endure it until you finally arrive at the end destination. Some of this backwardness is because of the big words that get used in the Bible and in sermons. Sometimes it seems like we use nothing but big words. And we sometimes wonder if the big words are even necessary or just used to show off and make it more difficult. It's like singing, row, row, row your boat with unnecessary big words, like Good King Friday did. Does anybody remember this? Propel, propel, propel your craft briskly through the liquid solution. Ecstatically, 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 ecstatically. Existence is but an illusion, right? Lots of big words that go flying by in rapid sequence in scripture readings and sermons. And we don't have the time to define all those words along the way. Big words, not just for kids, but for all of us, by the way. It's why in seminary, I loved learning to read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek, not just because of the richness for me that was added in reading the Bible in the original languages, but because reading the Bible in Hebrew and Greek forced me to slow down. I had to read a word at a time. Sometimes it's good to read the Bible through quickly. You want to get the big picture, but it's also good sometimes to slow down and to drink deeply God's word. Our goal in the sermons this year is to do a little bit of both. We're going through the book of Joshua, but also taking time here and there in order to look at what scripture says about scripture and see how the whole Bible fits together. And so I have good news, especially for our kids this morning. On a day in which we have seen two of our covenant children profess faith in Christ to become full communing members, we come to a passage of scripture that is especially written to the younger generation. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible, but we are going to focus in especially on 
one verse. Now, by nature, our sinful nature, we naturally are, are in the way back, facing backwards. So before we read God's word, let's ask God for help to listen. Dear God, we do pray now and ask for your help uh, that we might hear your word. Pray for your Holy Spirit to come right here, right now, to dwell richly in our midst, that we might hear your word, to have it read and proclaimed, and for your spirit to bear witness to that. To that end, as always, we pray for the preacher and know that he is not worthy, but by your grace, he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Right, well, this morning, we are going to look at especially Psalm 119.11, but it is always important to read the Bible in context, reading the verses before and after. Psalm 119 is the Hebrew alphabet psalm with 22 sections that correspond to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And kids, remind me to sing you the Hebrew alphabet song some other time. In each of the 22 sections, each verse of that section begins with the letter of that section. And so we are in the, uh, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Beit section. So each verse begins with the Hebrew letter Beit. Listen to God's word in English without any of that kind of uh, acronym. But this is God's word from Psalm 119, beginning at verse 9, going through verse 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Before we get to Psalm 119.11, let's consider those two verses that come first. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? Did you catch that? Bless you. The section is written especially for young men, young girls, youth, God cares deeply for covenant children. Now, that's a phrase that we use, covenant children, to refer to those children who are born to believing parents and who have the opportunity to be raised in the Christian faith, their parents teaching them the gospel and to be within the covenant community of the church, getting to hear uh, and see the gospel. Just as Old Testament Israel circumcised their children to mark their inclusion into the covenant community, so it is that we, the new Israel, the Christian church, baptize our children as a physical sign and seal of inclusion in the covenant community. So the parents and the church then work together to see that covenant children are raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We want our children to learn God's word. But not just to learn it, but also to live according to God's word to live according to God's word rather than living in accordance with other words, the words of maybe friends, peer pressure, or according to what we see on TV, YouTube, social media, different forms of peer pressure. We want to see our children live according to God's word. 
And actually the word there is more trans, accurately translated guarding, by guarding it according to your word. The parents and church are to help guard the way our children live, like a crossing guard that makes sure that kids safely cross the street. Jesus stands guard, guarding our way to see to it that we walk according to God's word. So that's verse 9. Verse 10 reminds us that this is not simply about empty actions, but drives to the heart. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And it begs the question, what are the things that you do with all your heart? What are those things that you can honestly say that you have put your whole heart into it? Kids, when your parents ask you to clean your room, don't really put your whole heart into that, right? Or like just shove everything under the bed. Look, it's all done. Because of our sinful nature, we don't put our whole heart into obeying our parents' commands, and certainly not into God's commands. But earlier in the service, our children walked us through some key questions of the first catechism. Can anyone go to heaven with the sinful nature? No. Our hearts must be changed before we can believe in Jesus and go to heaven. And what is the change of heart called? The new birth or regeneration. And who can change the sinner's heart? The Holy Spirit alone. And so the first catechism reminds us that in order for us to put our whole hearts into obeying God's commands, we need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. And so the goal of parents and the church is not just behavior modification, it is heart modification. Parents aim to shepherd the child's heart, for it is God who shepherds us, not just about obeying commands, but heart modification so that we delight to obey God with a whole heart. The good news of the gospel is the fact that Jesus fulfilled all the commands with his whole heart, and he gives us credit for his perfect righteousness. Now, the fancy word for that is imputed. Christ's perfection is imputed to us, credited to us, attributed to us as though we were the ones who actually did it. And this is why we say with our covenant children from the first catechism that we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ through the covenant of grace. And that takes us to Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you have a secret hiding place? Not a place that you hide yourself when you're doing hide and seek, but a secret hiding place to, find, to hide your most valuable things. Because actually the word that's translated hidden really has more of the sense of treasure. In fact, other translations have it as I treasured your word in my heart, or I've stored up your word in my heart. It has a special place. You don't want to lose it. You want to store it up and get as much of it as possible. And then you don't want anybody to take it away. God, I treasure your word in my heart. Now, before you can put a new toy or money or treasure into its hiding place, you must first get it. So how do you get God's word? Well, you got to read it or hear it, but not just in passing so that you then quickly forget it. Right? We should not be trying to uh, learn God's word the way most of us learn for the quiz on Friday, where you cram the information into your brain during first period, spit it out in the quiz second period, and by the beginning of third period, you've forgotten it all completely. 
We need to read it in order to understand it. The hardest I ever worked in a class in high school was geometry. I loved math. And all through my earlier years, I was like top in the class in math until we got to geometry proofs. Now, I haven't proved this yet, but I'm sure that this is a result of the fall, geometry proofs. I spent hours upon hours every day attempting to memorize postulates and theorems and corollaries, but they made no sense. I could memorize the words, but I didn't understand the concept. It had no meaning, and so when it came to application, I simply couldn't do it. There was no understanding. You know, I've often wondered, because my brain works better now than it did as a freshman in high school, and I've kind of wondered if I might now be able to understand geometry proofs. But I don't wonder enough to actually try it. This is why it is important not only to take time to read God's word, but also to utilize every means possible in order to understand God's word. Take time to uh, ask questions at home, listen to sermons, go to Sunday school classes, study the catechism and commentaries and teaching and books and others that help us to understand God's word. So I'm not telling you just to memorize scripture, but I am telling you to memorize scripture. Actually, I'm not telling you to memorize scripture Scripture is telling you to memorize Scripture. A key component of having God's Word hidden in the heart is memorizing it. In fact, we use that phrase when we memorize something, I know it by heart, right? You don't just have the facts in your head. When you know something so well it has become a part of you, you say, I know it by heart. Now, I know some will say it's just too hard, to memorize scripture. I can't memorize anything. Of course, that's not true. How much useless knowledge do we memorize, right? Well, here today, in fact, how many guys have all kinds of sports statistics memorized? Women who have memorized recipes, shopping lists, and birthdays for every relative and friend on the planet. Kids who have memorized the names and details for the full assortment of toys and games and students who have memorized vast amounts of song lyrics but can't remember what you asked them to do 10 minutes ago. We all have things that we memorize. Some it seems that we memorize without even trying, and then there's other things that just can't seem to stick in our head, let alone in our hearts. And much of the reason is that we spend way more time thinking about other things. Your Spotify playlist is on repeat while the Bible is, I don't know, somewhere around here. I can't find it right now. And I don't mean that as a guilt trip, but simply to highlight the reality that the things we value, the things we spend way more time thinking about, is the things we will memorize. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want to know what you treasure? Consider the things that you have memorized. Now notice the action part of Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice that it doesn't say, I have hidden your word in my heart. I've memorized scripture so that I can impress my pastor. (laughs) Neither does it say, I have memorized scripture because not memorizing scripture is a sin. It doesn't say that either. Treasuring God's word in our hearts 
changes how we live our lives. Many orient their lives around sports, shoe sales, social media, video games. These are not bad things, but they're not the things that should be the anchor point of our lives. They're the extras. Treasuring God's word in our heart changes how we live our lives. Notice the excitement that follows verse 11. For the one who has treasured God's word in their heart, praise be to you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Does that sound like someone who sees memorizing scripture as drudgery? Treasuring God's word is a life-changing experience. And so if reading God's word does not delight you, the problem might not be with God's word. If memorizing God's word doesn't delight you, the problem might not be with memorizing. If living out God's word doesn't delight you, the problem might not be life. If you don't treasure God's word in your heart, the problem might be with the heart. But here's the good news. God can transform the heart. God does transform the heart. God delights to transform our heart. For Jesus Christ is revealed by God's word. When we read, understand, memorize, and treasure God's word, we experience God transform our heart by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Memorizing scripture is not a duty to be performed, but the pathway to experiencing the rich grace of God. So when you feel like you're sitting in the way back, facing backwards on a really long trip, read God's word, understand God's word, memorize God's word, treasure God's word in your heart and live the transformed life. And may his truth set you free. Amen.